one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys. That's... Yeah, they have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I'm the walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. You don't know what you're talking about. What did you want? I managed to stay alive for six oh, days. I'd say it to your face, not say it to you now. I'm down Swanfield and we'll see them What you doing down here, you shawnee man? <laughs> During the weekly Francis Murphy's Guide to the Weekend Sport on television last Friday, Murph noted that Nottingham Forest seemed to be getting a lot of exposure on their return to the Premier League. All their games have been broadcast live on television, in Ireland at least, and we wondered what is it about Forest that has the broadcasting companies all in a lather to show them? Is it because of their traditional standing in the English game? Mm-hmm. Could it be the way they're flashing the transfer cash like mm-hmm. nobody's business? Mm-hmm. No. The reason everyone wants to watch these guys comes down to two words. Dean Henderson. Mm-hmm. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Murph. Hi, Kent. Hey, well, how's it going? How are you? Four games into the return. They've still only won one game, but you wouldn't know it judging by their goalkeeper's reaction to saving a Harry Kane penalty mm-hmm. at the weekend as he took his cap off the, and doffed it to all four corners of the city ground like a cricketer saluting the crowd after hitting a century. <laughs> Think Brian Lara clocking up nearly 400 runs against England in mm. Antigua in 1994. Ian Botham against Australia. 400 runs. Headingly. Yeah, 375. Yeah. That's something that actually happened. Bloody good batsman, Brian yeah. Lara. Ah, uh, well, listen, it was um, it was a flat pitch. <laughs> <laughs> they just couldn't get any no moved off the scene. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 I yeah, forgot yeah. you're an England cricket fan. Cricket yeah. fan, yes. Yeah, so Murph, carpet it was. Murph is loving my both of them. Martin McInnes was, was an England cricket fan, or just was he a general cricket fan? I think he was a general cricket fan. But would he have been Him like and Beckett, you? Beckett, of course. Uh, no, I think Martin McInnes was actually at Lords as well, though. I think he was actually an England uh, cricket fan, as opposed to just like a cricket fan. I mean, I'm saying that in the hope that that makes me sound better. But I, I do actually think that's, that's correct. Does it matter that Nottingham Forest was, were 1-0 down to a Harry Kane goal at this point of the match? No. Does it matter that Kane was going to go on and head another one past no, Henderson later in the match? Absolutely not. No. I, can, who, I can't even really remember that Kane goal. But at least two or three days for Henderson's antics to be pushed out of my brain by the next hilarious thing that happens mm. in the midweek Premier League football this week. <laughs> so there's your answer, Murph. That's why everyone... Is talking about Nottingham Forest. It's uh, Dean Henderson. On, it, is it possible that Jordan Pickford is the least offensive of England's goalkeeping qua, uh, uh, squadron? Is, about, is that what possible? What about Popey? Pope oh, no, yeah, seems to keep his counsel. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, Nick Pope, without a shadow of a doubt. I mean, I would say Pope first, least offensive, then Pickford. <laughs> then Ramsdale then Henderson you say offensive I say well, what's offensive about nah, it's not offensive what's it's offensive just Ramsdale another Ramsdale. highly entertaining these are just charismatic highly figures, entertaining charismatic are not, I, I they're can, not words I'd be using I can tell offensive you, is also not a correct word you still haven't watched that, that show in, no, in the heavily edited show I watched and Ramsdale <laughs> comes across as a lovely as man. a real nice guy Jordan Henderson gave a pre-match Jordan Henderson no not Jordan Henderson Dino Dean Henderson gave a hilarious pre-season interview to TalkSport a few weeks ago where he described it as criminal that he was stuck on the bench at Man United last season <laughs> then he talks about this amazing pre-season he was doing because yeah. this move to Forest was getting lined up I didn't really want the manager as in Ten Hag to come in and see me in training because I knew he'd probably want to keep me so I tried to do it all before I left for the season <laughs> <laughs> don't think he's going back to Manchester United by the sounds of things there no. big 
big week coming up with three nights of Premier League from Tuesday to Thursday as well as Republic of Ireland's massive World Cup qualifier against Finland on Thursday night. Thursday is also transfer deadline day. So, wow. Yeah, wow. that's what I'm saying. If I told you, there's a lot going on. So we'll have coverage of all that right through the week, including dedicated football shows on Thursday and Friday. That's two more football pods in addition to this one. Of course, that's exclusively for our World Service members. Only costs five euro a month plus fat to become a member today on secondcaptains.com. I should mention, Murph, just you're, you're doing very mm. well here to broadcast, uh, you know, uh, uh, in your usual unflappable manner, considering you might tell uh, the listeners here, we are back in studio these days, and you might tell the listeners who or what is sitting on your lap right now. <laughs> well, what can I say, Owen? Uh, Ken's dog, Teddy, has just taken a major shine to me. Uh, he follows me around the office. Uh, cuddles up to me on the office couch <laughs> and is now sitting on well, he was sitting on my lap now he's standing <laughs> with his back with his hind legs on my lap and his front two legs on the uh, table upon which we broadcast extremely photogenic dog I'm going to take a couple more well, snaps no, here listen you, you do yeah, what you got do you want to come back down here Ted there, there we, we go. go ah there we go you say Ken's dog more of an office dog now Ken you're happy yeah, to kind of share my dog love. really in a lot just of ways just as long as everybody watches the door yeah. Shouldn't be a problem. <laughs> Lars Everton and John Bruin coming up after your report on sport. Well, I suppose only might as well start with that game. You were talking about the um, Hendo, uh, Hendo masterclass, unfortunately, in the losing cause. It was a good penalty save, to be fair. Uh, the first penalty Harry Kane has missed in 22, I think, for Tottenham. Uh, although he did miss one in the Euro semi-final, if you remember, which he promptly... Scored the the rebound against Casper yes. Schmeichel, but uh, uh, yeah, that was it was a great save. Of course, um, lost the match. Um, thanks to although you know, and I think they were it was disappointing to lose just because of the fact that they were kind of in the game the whole way, and Tottenham didn't play well, and this has kind of been a theme of Tottenham. Uh, I mean, they played pretty well in, in Southampton. I mean, they they racked up a few goals and, and beat them pretty easily in the, in the opening match. But since then, it's been a bit, you know, uh, sort of a bit constipated. Um, okay. <laughs> but, you know, it, but but at the end of the day, Owen, they're sitting pretty with 10 points from 12 matches. Phew, I thought you were going to go further with that constipated analogy mm. and I didn't no. want to know where it would end up. Harry no. Kane's still flowing no, no, freely. No, no, All, no. Everything in working order as far, as far as Harry Kane's concerned. Well, they've, been stra- they've just been Regular straining a little bit to, to get things moving. And, you know, but but I think also when you look at the... At, uh, I mean, you've got to take different things into account. The fixtures they've had have not been easy. Away to Chelsea, where they obviously got the draw. Um, away to Forest, who have... You know, who've been a tough team to come up against at home to Wolves, and Wolves are a difficult team to break down, um, and they managed to win that one too. Um, so, the, you know, Conte saying stuff like, "Look, you know, we're improving in our resilience. We're learning how to suffer." They certainly are learning how to suffer. I mean, that's what he was teaching them to do all um, all summer. If you're strong mentally, you can survive in this type of situation. And I thought it was interesting to see Tottenham a couple of times breaking. Um, with a with a line of five players streaking forward across the pitch, you know, five of them kind of found out and just absolutely running as fast as they could to get forward. And this is obviously the move that they had been practicing all summer in those punishment sessions with mm. Conte. It was you know, amazing. There were just the. It wasn't just one or two. It was like half the team would just burst forward at like 100-meter sprinters ready to try to score on the break. Yeah, I, and it, it was interesting to watch that and think of of Guardiola last week talking about how City were, in his opinion, attacking too quickly um, and needed to be less... Uh, needed to stitch together more passes and more possession in the final third, you know, in order to sensibly attack uh, and to not leave themselves open to the counter-attack. Whereas this is Tottenham, who... You know, aren't letting in as many goals as uh, a city at the moment. Um, have completely the opposite approach when you know when the chance comes with the ball. Um, they just want to go straight for the goal. They do not want to waste any time. Um, Conte uh, afterwards seemed he, he referred in the interview to a sporting war, and the interview was like sporting war. I like that. I like that reference. <laughs> and Con- Conte was just like. Yeah, it's always a war. <laughs> he seems surprised that the guy seems surprised. You know, he's like, "What?" But but uh, uh, there was also this uh, controversial incident with Richarlison, of course. Oh yeah, shameful. Yeah, like another shameful scene. The sort of thing we don't want to see in our game. Well, it's two weekends in a row now that we've we've had to come face to face with some of the ugliest parts of football. What was the other one? The Conte at Tuchel. Was that last weekend? Oh yeah, yeah no, uh, that was a couple of weeks. A couple of weeks, weeks, couple of weeks, weeks ago. ago. No, uh, Richarlison. Obviously, um, 
decided to juggle the ball a little bit and then got chopped down spectacularly. And then, unfortunately, uh, Nico Williams couldn't just couldn't quite maintain his balance and fell heavily on Richardson's head as well, which was unfortunate. <laughs> well, Cooper, really felt like that was that was just a completely unpreventable fall that he took there. Steve uh, Cooper uh, said that he wouldn't want his players to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, if that's accepted at Spurs, it's nothing to do with me. But it wouldn't be accepted here, uh, which. Again, I'm sort of like, well, yeah, I mean, you can't, you know. I mean, I thought it was dealt with on the pitch, to be honest. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, like, never has justice been served more <laughs> swiftly than in this particular case. Even like, Richarlison, you know, yeah, it was just like, yeah, I mean. I, I asked for it. And I priced I it in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I priced it in. Con- Conte, exactly. Conte said, he juggled with the ball, no? It is a game. You're under pressure. I think it's okay. I don't think he wanted to show disrespect to Nottingham Forest, a really good team with a great history. No, I think that's exactly what he wanted to do you know this is mm. i've seldom seen a player who uses disrespect as a weapon to quite the same extent as richarlison mm. i mean he really knows how to sort of bring it in he's fitting know. in nicely to this antonio conte team isn't yeah, he? yeah yes and i mean obviously it was a brilliant assist by him as well yeah. for for kane because it was like what well, was an interesting move for sessignon only had to get it past one guy and was unable to do so. The ball came out. Richarlison knocked over Nico Williams, his, his friend. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then with four players, was able to just curl the ball to the outside of his foot straight onto the free hurricane. One of the four players might have got a bit closer to the hurricane. Yeah. You know? Um, but maybe they weren't expecting that. So, you know, I think Tottenham are doing pretty well. Uh, I, I think the important thing at this point is just to to win. And they're... Pro- I mean, if Son starts to maybe score or play a little bit better than he has been... Um, the games might start getting a little bit easier and they won't have to be fighting so much. Um, I mean, the other uh, thing that was happening over the weekend was um, was Richard Keyes again, just again, you know, you just try to, he's like Tom Cruise, you know, you keep, you write him off, but like he's back again and the whole world is looking at him, you know, mm. and uh, and this time it was, he had, uh, he had decided that Arsenal were over-celebrating Who's older, Richard Keyes or Tom Cruise? Sorry, I'd you say, keep going there, but I mean, I'd that's say, an interesting question now, isn't I'd it? I'd say Keyes is a touch I th- I older. I think Keyes, yeah. I'd say, I think Tom Cruise is 60 now, right? He's 60, yeah. So I'd say Keyes is... Keyes has been around the block a long time. I mean, mm. Richard Keyes, football didn't just start with the Premier 65. League. Richard Keyes Fair didn't enough. just start with the Premier League. Fair Either enough. Murphy, he had Fair a enough. career predating that. Yeah. Sorry about that. But, but he, he got onto the old... Um, got onto the Arsenal. Because what we saw was Arsenal beating Fulham in front of the watching Brazil manager Chichi mm-hmm. who had come to check on the Gabriels uh, he watched one of the Gabriels produce um, uh, well an unfortunate piece of defending <laughs> uh, which involved him losing a tackle to Mitrovic in the edge of his own area and Mitro Glycerine bombed it in <laughs> bombed it in past uh, past poor old Ramsdale who couldn't really, didn't really have much uh, chance mm. in the situation. And that was 1-0 to Fulham. And, you know, Fulham, given the way the whole game had been going up to that point and Fulham's record already this season, um, this looked like a difficult situation for us. So what happens? Bang, bang. They're, they're, the Gunners blast their way back. Mm. I mean, one a deflected goal by Odegaard and then a kind of, as, as Marco Silva said, the second goal they scored, they did not even know how they scored that goal. Mm. So he was actually criticising Arsenal based on the quality of the goals that they had scored. <laughs> and I thought this is, this is kind of it's, weird. Well, what's the point of just denigrating them in this way? Like, I mean, yeah. you know, they, you lost the game. I mean, it's not going to change anything. Well, it's probably to crap. look. The yeah. goals were crap. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'd, I, if, if I scored those goals, I'd hand the points back. <laughs> it was kind of the, yeah. the way that he was talking. But the question of whether Arsenal are, are over-celebrating, I mean, obviously, I mean, Keyes has, uh, keeps doubling down on this because it gets such a great reaction from Arsenal fans who are so angry at this mm. at this implication. I mean, I don't think that they have been over-celebrating. There was a stat, I think it was up to, this is the first time they've won a game after letting in the first goal in the second half for nearly 10 years. Mm-hmm. So usually when this happens, they don't, Win, so they turned it around, won the game, kept kept the winning record going. Now, if you look at what Arsenal, the games that they've won, you can say that the fixtures have been have been kind in the sense that you know if you want if you want to get the new team uh, or you know get bring in Gabriel Jesus and Saliba and Zinchenko and these guys and get them gelled together and build some momentum, get a good position at the table. 
they couldn't really even they couldn't necessarily have handpicked better fixtures in mm. in some ways. Um, I mean, who have they beaten? Uh, Bournemouth, Palace, Leicester, and Fulham. I mean, I say couldn't have had, maybe they wouldn't have had Palace in there. When you look at what they did last season, they got one point from Palace. They lost three 0 away to Palace last season, and they um, so that didn't happen. The other games in that series, they they also have, they won last year as well. Yeah. So Leicester, they beat them twice. Um, Fulham and Bournemouth are two of the promoted sides. Uh, the equivalent sides last season were Watford and Norwich. If you if you take the Brentford, like Forest came up through the playoffs, they lost to Brentford last season, but they beat um, they beat uh, Watford twice. They beat Norwich twice. So they got nine points from these games last season that they've got twelve points from. So you know there is an improvement. Now the the test is is coming pretty shortly. Well, not that shortly because they've got Villa at home on Wednesday night. <laughs> Villa again is a good is a good side to to be playing. Um, I mean, you saw the pictures of. I mean, I don't know if you watched Match of the Day too. Yeah, they didn't do Steve Jarrett too many favors with the picture they chose of him. Um, Maybe. Well, it was uh, you know they're they're just sitting there and what Gerard shows on his face tension to a degree that I can't think too many others. Always did as a player. He always as had a player, the furrow you know, brow, very serious. Yeah, he's he's kind of like he's always sort of squinting a little, like kind of trying to see what's over there. Um, Always sort of looks worried and tense, but now that he's a manager and also is a little bit older, um, <laughs> you know, he really. It, there's, there's a few more worry lines there anyway. Yeah, and you got a, you got this booing, um, booing Villa crowd, and uh, things just aren't aren't working out for him. You know, he's going on afterwards about you know that moment of quality. We needed that moment of quality. You know, I mean, this is a guy who doesn't really know what needs to happen. You know, in mm. the sense that if a moment, a moment of quality. What you're talking about is, I need someone to do the kind of thing that I was associated with, the sort of thing that I kind of made my stock and trade. You know, to I, just I do need, something. I need Coutinho to be really good again very soon, or mm. else I'm in a lot of other things. I mean, yeah, I mean, and, and this situation with Bundy and Coutinho, Coutinho start of the game didn't happen for him, so he puts on Bundia. We were throwing subs at it. Was a phrase that he used, and. <laughs> You know, it's and it, and it is. You do kind of get that feeling of he's just sort of going. Let's roll the dice and see and see what works here, which isn't really. Good. I saw his his brain. Michael Beale got a three two win for QPR. I keep watching QPR's results to see how the brain is getting on and the things are going. Stephen Gerrard has a brain of his own. Ken, this is. I'm just using. I'm just using the uh, phrases that I see in the popular media. Mm-hmm. So um, you can do better than the popular media, though, Ken. <sighs> this is what. Um, this is what was uh, was going on. So anyway, sorry, I was mentioning the Arsenal, the Villas next. The Man United next Sunday is a really interesting uh, fixture, given the way that that you know things seem to be coming together at last for United, at least in terms of some. They've established a basic level of competence. Um, you know, the Southampton match again. They they had a fairly kind refereeing decision, I think, with the McTominay. I mean, it was a very difficult one to understand. I'm talking about Martinez in the first game of the mm. season where they didn't, they didn't have a penalty given. Um, I mean, there was a... I don't know if you saw any of the Wolves-Newcastle um, match. Just the highlights. Um, I don't know if they would have included... Uh, well, no, of course they did include it because it was a decisive moment in the game. This was... Uh, Wolves were winning. Neves scored a great goal um, from outside the box in the first half. And Newcastle didn't really seem to have much of an idea how to break them down. And Collins was, again, playing pretty well, I thought. Um couple of slightly hairy moments. Nearly scored an own goal at one point. Mm. But, you know, mm. didn't. And made, made an important... It was it was an important block rather than an own yes, goal. Yes, exactly. Um, the Sky commentators were very quick to pounce on this being a nearly an own goal. They were. Actually, a goal-saving That's interception. A clearance. So, yeah. yeah. Mm. Um, All right, lads. But then... So, it looked like Wolves really had the measure of them and then um, scored a goal on the counter-attack. But it was given as a foul because a little push in the back by... Mm. Pedro Neto. Mm. So this just goes to show that the referees hate goals. Mm. Because that push in the back, if it might result in a goal, they won't give it. Mm. You know, the, the Martinez push against Brighton down, well, we can't give a penalty for that. But if it leads to a goal, as it did in this Wolves counter-attack where Neto ended up crossing it to Jimenez, then they say, well, we can't give that. That's a foul. So it's just a kind of a, you know, an example of, of how this... Um, nil nil is a perfect game. Nil nil is a goal with no mistakes. They hate the goals, yeah. yeah, and they want they want to cancel them, and and they'll they'll interpret the rules either way, depending on whether whether it leads to a goal. 
Will this lead to a goal? If yes, then give the push. No, then call of hell. You see what I mean? You see, yeah. you see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway. Uh, so, so you're saying, I'm just trying to tot up the amount of goals that are actually scored at the weekend. Well, actually, I suppose not the, just a couple of spectacular games. I had loads of them. And then, um, yeah, there actually were quite a few low-scoring games outside of that. Yeah. Um, no, it wasn't, it wasn't that, that great of a weekend. I mean, obviously, Erling Haaland. It Harland wasn't that great be... of a weekend. It was one of the greatest weekends in the English Premier League's history, 30-year history. Why do you say that? Well, Erling Haaland, hat-trick. Yeah. Liverpool, almost history makers. Almost. Um, uh, there was a, yeah, there was a, a late penalty. Joint history makers. It yeah. could have been, there, there, was a, there was, I thought, a clear penalty, which would have been a chance for 10-0, although it would have been Mohamed Salah on the ball. So, so no guarantees there. It was amazing. This whole game is happening around him and he's just not getting well, his, any no, no, Nothing points. is made of literally the greatest miss in the history of the game. Well, he had a he had a. I mean, it's unbelievable. Honestly, it's like two, the, two, one of the first half when it was played across. If he dangles his right foot out, there's literally no way the ball doesn't yeah. go into the net. He need. He needed to go. He he was going with the left foot. You know, he always yeah. he always likes to go with that left foot. You know, you would too if you were him. <laughs> but uh, okay, I mean that was obviously good. But again, it was like like a nine nil is never. I mean, Celtic also had a nine nil over the weekend beat Dundee mm. United. But it's never really. I don't think a sign of wow. You know, this team is amazing. It's usually it says more about the team that lets in nine goals. It's a nice confidence restorer, all the same, though, because there have been a lot of bad teams in the Premier League, but only three of them have lost <laughs> yeah, nine lost nil. nil. One of them being Southampton twice. Twice, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's actually amazing. Uh, Ipswich and Bournemouth, yeah. That Southampton, this current Southampton team have been involved in two of those ones there. Ah, yeah, it's a confidence restorer for the likes of Trent Alexander-Arnold, who bangs in the goal. I know that's not what he's being judged on, and. Everyone knows he can do that. He's got that in his locker. Mm. What people want to see is him maybe defending the back post a little bit better. That's fair enough. Firmino, a little Firmino masterclass. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. made Liverpool fans feel good for the first time this season. So yeah, there was yeah. that. I was. I must say, I was very glad in a lot of ways. Well, ten nil would have been history, and I was working on it on TV, so it would have been actually good fun. But having Mark Travers on the end of that would not have been great. And uh. he did finally pull out a save. Actually pulled out a few saves, which you'd want to do when you're well, having that many shots. Know. But the one on Milner at the end was actually quite a good save. That, yeah. that would have been 10 and would have been, oh no. Travers. no and, and Travers actually did very well on a couple of goals. I mean, the the Firmino one, which was 6 nil, I think. Was it 6? Yes. No, the own goal yeah. was 6, maybe. Mm. Yeah, uh, it was, yeah. And then, the, and then the what I mean is the Firmino one. So this was a Liverpool took a short corner and Robertson... I mean, again, when it's 9-0, when it's you're not going to make a big deal out of, well, some of these goals maybe were offside. Mm. Um, but Scott Parker would have really covered himself in glory <laughs> with that. Well, Look, the 6th and 7th goals were both offside. Well, this, so. I thought the 6th goal should have been offside because um, it's a cross. Diaz is the, is the Liverpool player. He's offside. And the um, uh, Bournemouth, I was going to say Chris Paul's, Bournemouth uh, defender, Mepham, who stretches to get the ball is and, and he scores the own goal. He's only doing so because he's trying to stop it getting to the offside Diaz. Mm. So I kind of thought, did they not clarify that this was... What they did, they issued a clarification whereby uh, a player who's offside, who then who receives the ball from an opponent who hasn't deliberately played the ball, does not become onside because it come off the opponent, right? Mm. So you have to deliberately play the ball, by which I mean you deliberately you definitely deliberately try to kick the ball as opposed to you deliberately pass it to your offside opponent. Yeah. You see what I mean? But it just, I thought in a situation where, where a player is being forced to do that by an offside, by the by the presence of an opponent in an offside position, shouldn't be penalised for that. I remember we were, we were looking at it and the rules around that particular thing, when a player is or isn't active as an offside player you know whether or not they're interfering with player interfering with opponents there's so many little sub criteria mm. there it's like oh jeez because I was like I'll read out this rule for mm. the benefit of our viewers <laughs> I'm like I won't bore the arse off them with yeah. that when there's nine goals gone in but the gist of it was we couldn't find one that would definitively rule it out even though I think Damien Delaney in particular felt oh this probably should be offside but mm. c- can't fully nail it down in the rule book so I suppose technically it should stand well at the end of it like I mean Diaz is clearly interfering with play in that he's dictating the action taken by the defender well I mean the defender is doing it to try to stop yeah. it getting to him because the defender can't necessarily know that he's offside so he has to do something but then he doesn't touch the ball so maybe he doesn't technically interfere so obviously that's what they decided yeah. um, and then the, the next one um, Henderson was offside when Robertson played a shot or is it a shot is it a cross I mean knowing Robertson is pro- he's probably a cross but it's going in so 
Henderson was offside when that ball comes in. I don't know if he was offside, though. Was he not? No, that was a thing in the end, because we watched a few replays and there was no mention in the background of VAR checking, uh, or VAR even ruling him offside and checking okay. it out. So it might have, in that case, it might have been as simple as he wasn't actually deemed to be offside. Well, in that case, I actually thought that, the, I thought maybe what they'd done is, well, this Travers has to do something about this ball anyway, because if he doesn't save it, it's going to go into the net. So he, But he then saved it, and he then saved again from Firmino, and then Firmino's able, you know, you, you're thinking, okay, at this point, help needs to arrive, right? You can't have like the, uh, the guy making save after save, and then he did. Yeah, they were. Pff, he could have palmed it out. It was one of those. He sort of palms it straight back to Firmino. But I understand the brain might be a bit scra- The reflexes are starting to be sorely tested when you're already six 0 down by that stage. Yeah, thanks to a complete absence of any defending by any of your outfield players. It was. Uh, yeah, it was tough. So, so that was um, once again well done, Mark Travers, and saving that James Miller shot at the end. Um, but is it Gavin Bazunu? Obviously, he also made a great. Save um, was it Fernandez? I'm not sure which United player it was. There was so many involved in the moment when United had three shots in like mm. one and a half seconds. All I think of which he were saved from Sancho. He saved from Sancho. Then there was and then there was um, a block. The on two defenders Eric's. each got a block, yeah. and um, ultimately there was nothing he could do really about Bruno Fernandez's goal, uh, which was just right in the corner. And then McTominay got you know handballed it twice, and they decided. We hate goals. <laughs> you know, we're not going to we're not going to make it easy for anyone to score a goal here. So uh, that was a win for uh, obviously they hate goals. Had. But they uh, just to be clear: the officials enjoyed goals in the Liverpool game, but didn't want to see goals in other games. It's, yeah, it's an interesting That's theory. The right. um, so, uh, well, they're not going to do anything to. It's kind of like inertia. You know, it's like if 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 there are goals in a the game, then let the goals continue to flow. Let's yeah. not stop. The momentum there. Except if, but if there are push. very few goals, then let's try and maintain that. There is no momentum for goals, therefore we should maintain this low goal ratio at all costs. Well, that's what it worked out. There's three points for United, but you know, in many ways, the highlight of the weekend, Manchester United-wise, for me anyway, was Duncan Castles's article in the Sunday Times giving the lowdown on the Ronaldo situation. Mm. And honestly, this is one of the this is one of the most astonishing articles I've read in a long time. Whoa! Uh, about football, so it's it's like you know inside the Cristiano Ronaldo um, situation of Man United by a journalist Duncan Castles, who's obviously very well sourced within the kind of um, say Mendes Jestefuch, um ecosystem. Uh, so. Um, Starts off, you know, going back to last summer, Ronaldo was about to go to Man City. Then Ronaldo instead moved from Juventus, Juventus Man United, came down to relationships, history, emotion, and promises. Sir Alex Ferguson, his father in sport, understood the danger of allying Ronaldo's ability, leadership, and laser-focused professionalism to City's financially doped footballing machine and got on the phone. If you're coming back to Manchester, you have to come back to Old Trafford with a message. Patrice Evra, Rio Ferdinand, Gary Neville, and other teammates from the United side that once held English, European, and world titles together joined the press gang. So uh, the point is, all they, they were all uh, active in, in yes. bringing him back. They made uh, we promises. Remember, we remember it well. Promises were made. Mm. Were promises kept? We read on. <laughs> uh, final, week, final week of the transfer window, August 2022. That's this month. Yes. The individual with the highest salary in the history of the Premier League, the man who has played more games, scored and created more goals than any other in the history of the Champions League, is struggling to find an acceptable way out. Eric Ten Hag, the eighth man to manage United. By the way, this the first sentence was about Ronaldo, not Eric Ten Hag. Gotcha. Ten Hag. Yeah, no, no, yeah. Eric Ten Hag, the eighth man to manage United in the nine years since Ronaldo's sporting father retired, has benched the Portugal International. That Ronaldo's United Dreams has come to this says far more about the American-owned club's state of dysfunction than it does about the forward. He spelled this out to United's decision-makers months ago. How many months? Two months? Four months? Six? You know, how many months? Uh, we, we're not told. Um, so Ronaldo is, you know, he, he looks around sadly at the at what United have become, mm. right? It's a pig of a club now, <laughs> right? You know, he left and it was uh, an absolute Rolls Royce and it's turned into mm. an old pig. Uh, and he says, Ronaldo ruefully <laughs> contrasted pig. the club captains he'd inherited across his storied career. Roy Keane on first arriving in England. Sergio Ramos at Real Madrid. Giorgio Chiellini at Juventus. Then Harry Maguire. Four relegations and not even a Carabao Cup to his name. <laughs> at 37 years of age. With perhaps four seasons of elite-level football left in his incredibly conditioned body, 
Wow. Now, did you see the United Southampton game? I did. He came on in the game. He did. And there was a bit of an injury scare. He, he was knocked down. He kind of had a bit of a knee issue. Yep. But then he ran. There was a moment when he ran through. Did you see that? Mm, Just yeah. Please describe. To anyone who didn't see it, please describe. Was it Walker Peters? Uh, I'm not sure which defender. I think, I'm not sure. So the ball was played down the right channel of United's attack. Uh, it was just a straight one-on-one with the goalkeeper. All Ronaldo had to do was advance the ball and himself up the pitch 20 yards and then rifle a shot into the top corner, as he has done more often than any player in the history of the game of association football. Mm -hmm. However, he may well have been able to do that part. The manoeuvring himself by running in the 20 yards to get into a position to be able to do that was unfortunately a bridge too far. It looked like he was running in treacle and he was duly caught by... Uh, Southampton defender I believe Kyle Walker So there were two so there were two defenders really Murph Kyle Walker Peters and Father Time Father Time <laughs> Father Time Father cleared time. extremely effectively he yeah. booted it into row Z it, it, it looked time. like I had built a, a life-size Cristiano Ronaldo model uh, <laughs> like and, and a robot and, yeah, yeah, and you were it was running through and it. yeah, yeah. it's yeah. like this just it's just not really yeah. fl- anyway four seasons perhaps four seasons left in his incredibly conditioned body. Ronaldo could not afford to be saddled with a football club incoherently attempting to reboot its reboot. <laughs> to be saddled with a football club. That is, to play for Man United on what has already been established as the highest salary in the history of the league. Um, he didn't want to suffer a season in Europa League football. Yada, yada, yada. Blah, blah, blah. Pissed off at all this. A number of senior figures were enlisted to convince, to give, this is back in July, to give him ten, to give Ten Hag's new Inverted commas, United a chance. Ferguson among them. Ferguson was was asked was rolled out to beg Ronaldo to to come on, give us a chance, please, Chris. Uh, Ronaldo hadn't shifted an inch. Um, the club he'd returned to the previous summer had sold a story of winning the Premier League title. Promises made, winning the Premier League title altogether, and him choosing United over City would make the difference to a squad on the verge of glory. Ronaldo had fulfilled his side of the bargain scoring 18 Premier League goals, 13 more than any United teammate, and saving them in multiple Champions League group games, United hadn't held up their end. To add insult to the injury of suffering the worst league finish of his career, the club also expected him to accept a 25% pay cut written into his contract for a season without Champions League football. Oh, unbelievable. It wasn't his fault well, United, it wasn't his fault United hadn't qualified, reasoned Ronaldo. Why should he be penalised? <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. I would have thought that, yeah. Why should the highest paid player in the history of the league be expected to accept any responsibility for failing to achieve mm. team objectives in the team that he was part of, you know, just because it's in his contract? Ronaldo is understood to have been unimpressed with Ten Hag's attempt to shift responsibilities to the players and their physical output in London. This is after they lost to Brentford. The Dutchman, who never resorted to such anti-Diluvian disciplinary measures, this is the, the punishment run. 13.8 kilometers. Uh, had never uh, resorted to this in Ajax made it known he's now open to selling Ronaldo some some of Ten Hag's new charges that's the players mm-hmm. would be happy to see C or 7 depart letting journalists know that Ronaldo's exit would liberate that's in scare quotes and allow them to again quotes express themselves <laughs> right, oh so, bloody hell here we go all, this, all the snakes <laughs> it's an absolute basket yeah. of snakes this club yeah. but of course you know when you look at Bruno Fernandes yeah, seemed to be doing pretty good against it. Well, I mean, he scored a goal. He was also horrendously bad. You think? Oh, well, the first half was awful. He awful. Did, he, there was one moment where he, he tried to play a, a simple return pass to a teammate. Did yeah, you yeah, see yeah. it? <laughs> it was like, what? How did you do that? Control that. <laughs> I'm just going to, uh, bl- like, blam this at your shoulder. The best, best thing some of these players will do in their entire career is be able to say they played beside Cristiano, said a coach. Some uh, some other coach, but then the the next section is about. Um, but be- bewilderingly, um, other clubs seem not to be playing ball in terms of offering Ronaldo a way out. You know, Bayern. You know, we've already got loads of players. Um, Chelsea. Uh, Thomas Tuchel, advised by his friend Rangnick, opposed the transfer. <sighs> Rangnick, you know, will he ever take his boot off Manchester United's throat? Um, uh, Diego Simeone worked to persuade Ronaldo to return to Spain. The idea appeals to his family. Supporter protest and the difficulty of meeting La Liga budget caps complicated the deal. Um, a return to his first club sport against much so discussed in this Portugal. Is, this is pretty... Oh, sorry. Go on, yeah, yeah. Yet their coach let his opposition to a transfer become known to local media. Already public, publicly critical of sporting decisions, Sal Mateus Nunes to Wolves. 
Ruben Amarim has intimated he might walk out on his contract where Ronaldo signed. Ronaldo is understood to find the posturing of a coach whose team has won just one of three Liga Portugal matches this season laughable. <laughs> all the fools, I'll destroy them all. Thanks, Joel. So, uh, with the window into its final week, Ronaldo's accomplished representatives are left with the surprisingly challenging task of manufacturing a move for a player who just one year previously was on the verge of joining City. So he's fielded just one firm offer, a 300 million euro proposal to play the next two years in Saudi Arabia's Pro oh, League. Yeah. But of right. course, he doesn't, he, doesn't, he doesn't care about the money and he goes with the Champions League. Mm. Um, so if I was writing an article saying how indispensable Cristiano Ronaldo was, I definitely would, wouldn't put in like four whole paragraphs of here are all the, all the ways that world football has decided this is a problem we don't need. Here are the fans of this club, the manager of this club, the manager of the club he's at at the moment told the manager of this club <laughs> under no circumstances sign this man. And then... If you sign this player, I'll walk out, says the fourth manager. <laughs> that, it kind nice. of undermines well, just how look, indispensable Cristiano Ronaldo is to any football okay, team I, in the world. Well, yeah, I feel, but I feel that Duncan, Duncan Castles is, is presenting us with a picture here, you know, and I, and I feel as though the pic, it is quite a complete picture in a lot of ways. It actually does allow us to develop a pretty good understanding of what's really going on here. Mm. Um, uh, so that's, you know, re- a year alongside Solskjaer, Rangnick and Maguire has tarnished a stellar reputation. In the US. <laughs> so, uh, the, and upshot is, there's a chance he might, pff, he might just have to stick it out. You know, he might be yeah. stuck there uh, on the highest salary in the history of the Premier League, minus 25%, uh, which uh, there was one other Ronaldo related thing, um, which I should mention, just the uh, Magnus Carlsen, the... Uh, huh? Magnus Carlsen, the... You just casually throw in the great... Chess Grandmaster Magnus Carlsen. The Chess Grandmaster and well, have, Football have, Grandmaster. Have Brentford signed him? Oh, no, but he's Norwegian, isn't he? He's Norwegian. Yeah, sorry, okay. um, Fair enough. He is a Grandmaster of Chess sorry and Sorry to all of our Norwegian football. listeners. A huge, uh, a huge football fan. On the day we have Lars Sivertsen oh, back on the God, podcast. I'm sorry, Jeep. He I'm appeared on uh, Lex Friedman's podcast uh, and uh, that started off with some, with some football talk and uh, the question arose, as it does, of uh, who's, the, who's the greatest player of all time? I think it's pretty hard to make a case for anybody else than, than Messi for his uh, for his all-around game. And uh, uh, frankly, like my Real Madrid fandom sort of uh, predates the Ronaldo era. Era uh, the the second Ronaldo, not 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 the first one. So I always liked Ronaldo, but I always kind of thought that Messi was. Uh, was uh, better uh, and um, I went to quite a number of uh, Madrid games and they've always been super helpful full to me down there the only thing is that like they asked me they were going to do an interview and they were going to ask me who my favorite player was and um, I said somebody else I, I think I said Isco at that point and I was like okay take two now you say Ronaldo <laughs> <laughs> so for them it was um, it was very important but it wasn't wasn't that huge to um uh, to me, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. If you could just try that uh, answer again, Magnus, I think you've given the incorrect answer. And, and please never reveal that you think Messi is a better <laughs> player than Ronaldo. Either. He, yeah, I hope I hope Ronaldo doesn't hear that. Um, although probably someone will point it out to him. Isco incidentally has joined Sevilla now. He's oh. no longer a Real Madrid player, so it couldn't be uh, couldn't be Magnus Carlsen's favorite Real Madrid player anymore. Benzema was scoring a couple of goals last night. Out. God, he's good. But I suppose um, I suppose we don't need to talk about this all day. What does it look like? A turtle, is it? Yobs. There's an incredible podcast on at the moment produced by the second captains. Biggest load of bollocks. The second captain's show in Ireland. We're now getting to that point now where we are inspiring. The second captain's podcast. Pretty much we've done for the last 20 years. Be role models to kids. <laughs> Last time we spoke to John Bruin and Lars Sivertson together was on stage in Hackney in May when we were predicting what kind of things Erling Haaland might do in the Premier League and it hasn't taken him long to make an impact. Lars, how are you? Great to have you back on. Uh, I'm good, guys. Great to be on, John. Good man. And John, great to have you back on again. Yeah, uh, yeah. so soon. And, and thanks again. Thanks again for having me on. Lars, have you been enjoying what you've seen from Haaland so far, and in particular his hat-trick at the weekend? 
Well, I'm I am concerned uh, really about the quality of of, of the Premier League uh, and uh, how competitive this division really is. I mean, Erling Haaland averaged zero point ninety two goals per game in Dor- in the Bundesliga for Dortmund, and so far he's in England he's averaging one point five goals mm-hmm. per game. So I, it, it clearly doesn't say anything good about the standard of football in in this country, and and maybe in the future, you know, when Barcelona have uh, sold off more of their family silver to buy some Premier League players, they need to apply. Some kind of some kind of tax, I think. Some kind <laughs> the of Premier League it's tax. Just, yeah. It's just too easy to. Now, of course, it's been enjoyable, and w- what I'm enjoying is that we're kind of seeing already that I think there is a sort of slight uh, friction between what Guardiola wants his team to do and what Erling Haaland ideally wants his team to do. But 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 so far he's scoring so many goals that it doesn't really matter. Like the, the outcome seems to be goals either way. Hey, well, go, go on and then about the friction, because obviously this is something that we were talking about even back in May. And the friction was... is our only hope, Lars. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but there, there didn't seem to be much friction when Pep Guardiola was greeting uh, greeting the departing Haaland and hugging him to within an inch of his life. It seemed like he, he was very happy with whatever Haaland's doing for his team. Yeah, and, and, and goals kind of is the antidote to everything in football. When you win, everyone's happy and everything goes well. And And I think with... I think Haaland's probably always going to score goals. Whatever kind of team you put him in, he's, he's, he's going to score goals for you. But I think it's also pretty clear that there are moments when he like he wants to get the ball forwards quickly so he can run in behind. And, you know, after last week, after they drew against Newcastle, Guardiola was talking about how they were being a little bit too direct. And like maybe if Mares was there, they would, they would spend more time and play a couple of extra passes and spend more time in the opposition's box, which of course isn't at all what, what Ali Holland wants. He wants to play it into Erling, uh, the sooner the better. So, so all this is kind of going on and it's giving, of course, fodder for, for the chattering classes such as myself to, to discuss. But, but the reality of, of Ali Holland is also that he just presents opponents with just an impossible dilemma tactically, really, because... Typically, if you have a big, strong striker who's good at getting out the end of things, you might want to push up your defense a little bit and try to keep him away from goal. Whereas if you have a really fast guy who's great at going in behind, you might want to drop off and not give him space. But if you have a guy who's amazing, like world-class, like both of those things, it's really difficult to know what exactly you're meant to do. If you give him any kind of space to run into, he'll destroy you. Whereas if you drop off and let him sort of lurk in the box and let the opponent put crosses in, he's going to score from those as well. So it's hard to know what exactly you do to combat this, this man. You have to strangle the supply lines somehow. But if it's Kevin De Bruyne and Bernardo Silva providing the supply lines, then it's not an easy thing to do. Yeah. What do you think, uh, John? Do you do you pick up on this this friction that I'm so keen to explore? Uh, <laughs> so keen to explore more, as opposed to the the headline facts of six goals in four games and just a a, 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 a kind of an unstoppable weapon uh, for the for this already better than everybody else Man City team. I think the thing is with with Pep Guardiola. Um, uh, his his standards are so high that perhaps there is always that suspicion that certain players that you think or the layman might think are the most incendiary talents he don't he doesn't think are good enough. Now, obviously, if, if you're talking Manchester City, you compare uh, Pep's treatment of Sergio Aguero. Now, beyond the you know Alan Shearer, there probably wasn't a better Premier League striker than Sergio Aguero, a pure striker. Uh, yet Pep wasn't that happy with him. So the suspicion might be that eventually Pep, because he does this, becomes bored of having this this war machine up front that scores all these goals and decides that he wants to do something different. But so far, I, mean, I was just looking back at the quotes uh, that, that Pep you know, uh, spoke to the, the, the reporters afterwards, and he was rhapsodising about uh, Erling Haaland. Um now, at times with Pep, you, you slightly doubt the uh, sincerity of what he says, um, because everybody is so nice and and so good. But I do think he's sincere at the moment, and and, and why wouldn't he be? Um, there would be the suggestion that Manchester City have not played fantastically this season, and yet look really rather good, look really rather unstoppable, and. Um, if you are to uh, to use social media as a gauge, um, the, the panic on uh, from other fans of other clubs about Manchester City, uh, particularly Liverpool, after a weekend in which their team won 9-0, suggests that Haaland is doing the job for City and Guardiola. Um, 
Yeah. He's been sensational. So How do you mean panic? Just it's like, well, I mean, what chance has anyone got? I mean, they, they, they were they're already completely dominating, and now they've got a guy who's scoring a goal in a half a game, and yeah. he can score from every situation. And and even when they go two goals down, they still win. The the one aspect of their performances recently, really, is is that thing of going two goals down. You know, I mean, it happened at Newcastle. It happened again. They didn't lose either game. They won the they won the most recent game, but. That is uh, that is hinting at a, li- a little bit of. I mean, Guardiola referred to a, a loss of control. I mean, are, is, is this like the, you know, the heady days of summer, but winter is coming, and you know, it's not yeah. always you're not always going to come from two goals down. Yeah, I think so, and, and that's often a sign of uh, big slash great teams maybe coming apart at the seams a little bit. I mean, if we come apart at the seams, it can be repaired, of course. Um, I'm reminded of uh, okay. Let's 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 think of some uh, early season Manchester United performances where, say, Alex Ferguson has bought a well, it's a Van Nistelrooy and Veron. That was one season, wasn't it? That'd be back in two thousand. United were winning games sort of four two and three two, but something was going wrong at the back, and you begin to think that maybe the t- the team doesn't quite fit together, but. You've got Haaland as a, as a safety net. He can score the goals that can dig you out of problems. But actually, think about Manchester City's ultimate goal, as it is every season, and we say this every year, uh, is to win the Champions League. Uh, going two goals down in the Champions League is not going to get you very far, is it? Or not get you as far as you want to be. So, That's your Real Madrid. Uh, <laughs> well, well, yeah, or, or Real Madrid or, or Barcelona against PSG. I mean, it has been done, but you can't rely on such comebacks. And... It, it, you suggest that uh, Pep Guardiola, despite the gushing praise for Haaland, is perhaps not as happy as the, the, those grins and uh, you know shy glances at the camera would suggest at the moment. Do you think Larzy's happy to um, to play second fiddle? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think again, as long as they're winning. And I, 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 but as long as they're winning, as long as Haaland is averaging more than a goal a game, and they're they're winning, and it's fine. But you do wonder when things go wrong. It must be very tempting for him. Like, can I just put on a false nine? Like, get another uh, sort of midfielder. You can't take him off and... when things are going wrong, though. No, this is the like, other thing. When, like, when you, things you are just... going wrong, he's he's the player everybody in the stadium is turning to. Bail us out. We're, we're pre- we're projecting massively here. Like we're applying our own theories and we don't actually know what's going on inside these guys' heads. Let's just be very clear on that. But, but, but I'm fully convinced that like when City are behind and they don't have as much control as they usually do because they don't have the extra sort of kind of midfielder on as a striker and they're not, the buildup isn't working quite the way it usually does. And you have this sort of giant Norseman up front who's just hanging around and not, not really touching the ball that often. Like Guardiola must be like, yeah, my, my kingdom for a false nine here. But but then you have this unbelievable goal machine who if you get the ball to him, you know, he will he will score for you. So it is a very it is a very different thing for Guardiola. And um I mean World Service listeners and people who went to Hackney will remember that I went a bit heavy on the metaphors there. So I want to be a bit careful. But w- with Guardiola, he does seem like one of those sort of Michelin star modern chefs who wants to like break everything down to a molecular level and and then create reconstructed food dishes and everything is emulsion somehow and it's just all weird. Whereas Alan Holland is just a perfect hamburger or a pizza or something. There's nothing complicated about it. It just really works and and everyone likes it. And I'm not. I, I'm still not fully convinced that's something that Guardiola in his heart of hearts really wants the, his team to be about. Now we're here. We're here for the metaphors, Lars. But you mentioned the word control a couple of times there. Haller didn't seem to have too much control of his foot as it careered into the head of an opponent yesterday. Was he lucky to avoid a red card, even allowing for the fact that he he was challenging for the ball? Well, I I looked at that, and it's it's one of those funny ones where there are two principles. I think one that a, a refereeing acquaintance of me keeps telling me that you are responsible for where your limbs end up on the pitch, uh, and so your intention and all that isn't isn't very important. But the other thing is you must. There are certain actions that I think a footballer must be expected to be allowed to do. And he he raised his foot a bit and tried to control the ball. Now because he's so tall, uh, once he raises his foot, it, it immediately kind of. Can, can get into the vicinity of an opposing player's head, which which can be bad. So I, I didn't think that was a strange situation. I did consult 
uh, a former UEFA and FIFA referee who who said that for him it was more a yellow than than, than a red. Uh, the fact that uh, that Anderson who was Crystal Palace defender was kind of stooping down a little bit, mm-hmm. and there wasn't a lot of like excessive force or anything like that involved. It was more um, it was more reckless by him to have his foot in that position, and that a yellow card would have been the right uh, decision. But uh, it was strange that it was given as nothing. I didn't think that was slightly odd. Mm, okay, uh, John. Um, uh, I know that you were at Villa Park yesterday for uh, what's widely being hailed as the worst match of the season so far. Um, Ex- expected goals of less than one. Less than less than yeah. one was the was the say with the two teams combined. But it was nonetheless a very interesting match, just in terms of the situation that the two clubs are in. I saw. Declan Rice uh, wearing a, a baseball cap backwards in his pre-match interview, um, looking pretty cool, uh, mm. saying that this was the day to turn up. This was the moment to, to show what West Ham are all about. They did so. Uh, they they won the game 1-0. Um, and Stephen Jarrett's team, John, was booed off. And I wanted to ask, what do you think the Villa fans are so unhappy about? I mean, aside from everybody can see the awful results, which include losing to Bournemouth, which seems almost unbelievable uh, in hindsight, but uh, they did manage to beat Everton, but otherwise it's been terrible. For, uh, what are they so pissed off about so um, early in the season? Yeah, well, uh, on my way back from uh, Birmingham, where uh, Her Majesty's transport links rather let me down. Ah, uh, this is what uh, everyone always says. Apparently it's, yeah, it's always and, collapsing. Yeah, uh, my... Um, yeah, the train to to Birmingham New Street was cancelled, and I had to get a bus. I got I got chatting to a uh, a Villa fan uh, whose name was, uh, and it was written on the back of a shirt, so uh, was Lincoln Jill, uh, who'd been watching Villa for I think nearly fifty years, uh, and she just said to, and we got talking, and she asked what I was there for, and I told her I was a reporter for the Guardian, and she told me to. Yeah, don't spare him. Go hard on him, won't you? <laughs> uh, and this, of course, is Stephen Gerrard, uh, who, from that small sample of die-hard Aston Villa fans, appears not to have convinced anybody, really. Uh, sometimes you're at a game, and after about 10 minutes, you think, yeah, this is a nil-nil, isn't it? And, uh, you know, you have to prepare to, to fill your word count, and you have to think about how you're going to cast this game and, you know, it wasn't too difficult in its two struggling teams early on in the season. Uh, and yet uh, West Ham won the game uh, and West Ham won the game via uh, a couple of small details. Uh, obviously the goal was deflected, Pablo Fornells, I think off Esri Konza and beyond, uh, uh, beyond the goalkeeper, Emmy Martinez, who didn't have a fault. But one of the things was that, um, the aforementioned Declan Rice, he didn't have a cap on at this point, uh, was able to stride forward and play the, the ball through. Now, previously to that, Steve Gerrard had detailed Philip Coutinho uh, with the, uh, and told him to, to follow Declan Rice wherever he went. And until Coutinho left the field, uh, Declan Rice had a pretty difficult afternoon. And then Coutinho went off. Uh, Buendia, who uh, Stephen refuses to play at the same time as Coutinho, came on, didn't mark Declan Rice. The ball's played through, West Ham score, booze ensue, and uh, as Lincoln Jill puts it, the fans are saying he's got no idea, this is a disgrace. And then, yeah, we go to the press conference afterwards and um, uh, you listen to uh, Stephen Gerrard deliver a a rather... um, empty set of platitudes about, you know, we know that we have to work on this. And he used the dread business, uh, the bullshit bingo phrase in terms of moving forward. You know, one of those. (laughs) (laughs) And I just thought this is unconvincing. Um, Steven Gerrard was a brilliant footballer uh, of that. There is no doubt, uh, but uh, there is a distinct charisma gap. And uh, when you compare it to David Moyes, a manager who, uh, one of the things a lot of people have criticised David Moyes for is that that lack of charisma. It just isn't there. David Moyes is a football man through and through, a football manager through and through, and I'm not convinced Stephen Gerrard is is anything like that. And uh, so Mo- Moyes, it, Moyes was more impressive to you than Gerrard. Why why was that? I think David Moyes. Listen, he's a much more just in that small realm of the. Uh, 
of the press conference, David Moyes is a much more impressive character. As Owen knows, he's also a fairly decent media performer. Well, yes. Um, and and the other thing is that um, uh, in that game, uh, David Moyes started. The, the, they'd been sad to actually saw the game against Brighton last week. They'd been terrible, so he decided to experiment with the team, and he played five at the back and you know three in midfield and attempted uh, played John Lucas Gamaka up front. And it didn't work. It didn't work at all. Uh, and you could see the players argue with each other. But what David Moyes did at half-time was rip it up, go back to what was pretty much had, had been the, the plan for the last two seasons and was able to to deliver a result. Whereas Steven Gerrard did not vary his tactics at all during the game, apart from the substitutions that I, I mentioned just before. And he relies too much on Coutinho, uh, to supply the magic, and he real, and then I suppose Buendia if he comes on to replace uh, Coutinho, and that's it. They're very one-dimensional, uh, very out. It's it's outdated football. Whereas you know, D- David Moyes is a manager that so many people have derided as a dinosaur. Yet he did have the adaptability to switch his team around, admit that he'd been wrong in his selection, and he got the victory. And now, rather than David Moyes, who was staring down the barrel of uh, four. Uh, for games that they'd lost and not scored a goal, he's secure now. Steven Gerrard is the manager that everyone's talking about being next on the chopping block. And they got to play Arsenal and Man City next. So, yeah, good luck. Yeah, good luck with those ones. It certainly seems like the talk of him taking over from Jurgen Klopp as the next Liverpool manager seems like uh, it's it's uh, fallen off a cliff at this stage. And um, I'm sure Klopp will, Liverpool fans will hope he stays for as long as possible. He seemed to get them going again at the weekend, Lars. A 9-0 win was pretty emphatic. Normally what happens in those situations when, when a team leads heavily from early on is they tend to take their foot off the gas a little bit. The game gets a bit bedraggled and it's rare, it's only happened three times before now in the history of the Premier League that a side has actually racked up nine goals by the end of 90 minutes but as Klopp said afterwards uh, you know the Bournemouth were unlucky to be playing Liverpool in that mindset how much can we glean from the fact that they hammered a really poor team by so many goals does it mean they're back does it mean all the problems we've been talking about for the first few weeks are gone no I don't think so uh, I think with with some some due respect for, for Bournemouth I just think they're they really had a had a rough start so far. I mean, they did get that win uh, for against Aston Villa, but they just don't look like a like a very good team. And Liverpool, it was important for them to have a, to they they wanted to rack up the score, obviously, to make themselves feel better about everything. And also, goal difference could end up being important. So you know, I think there's nothing wrong with trying to score as many goals as possible. Um, you, you feel for 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 wing commander Parker and his merry men because I just think. They, they looked very, very unconvincing so far. And I, I think these results when uh, one of the bigger teams uh, give Bournemouth a hiding, as I suspect we'll see a few more times this season. Uh, I don't think there's an awful lot to read into, to be honest. Yeah. Um, they didn't meet your expectations last week, John. Uh, Liverpool, that is. Manchester United turned it around uh, and they continued uh, working in the same direction by beating Southampton in their early game of the weekend. They are going to reinforce now. Uh, it looks like this Anthony deal is going to go through 400 million euros. What do you make of this? Well, first take the game. Um, Eric Ten Hag doesn't appear yet to be able to have his team playing quite the style of football that he'd like, but he's got them playing doggedly and he seems to have motivated them. So that's a start. That's a good start. Now, this guy, Anthony, uh, at some point, I I must defer to to Lars, who's probably seen a lot more of him than I have. But what it appears to be is that they're signing a player of a type they already have, which is a player who plays off the wing, very skillful, um, obviously obviously a favourite of Ten Hag if if he's willing to to put his name to such a a big signing. Um, And it appears to be an upgrade on what they have. So that would be... Uh, an upgrade on, say, Marcus Rashford, Anthony Martial, and uh, uh, Jaden Sancho. So we we ha- well, I mean, the hope is that he, he's a very exciting talent. Um, I still think that Manchester United's transfer business is a little bit awry, uh, despite the fact they've signed Casemiro. I still would say they need another midfielder. Um, is he really going to play the season with Diogo Dalot? Uh, right back as as well I think as he's actually played the last couple of games um, 
but there are signs of revival. Um, and maybe Anthony's the type of player that can make that revival look even sweeter and showing off a few skills. But um, it looks like a hell of a risky signing. But th- those are the premiums that clubs have to pay these days. Yeah, I mean, it seems, I guess, that they're essentially replacing Mason Greenwood in the squad. You know, I mean, he, he had been yeah. obviously an important player uh, for them before um, what happened happened. Uh, in do you have any uh, further uh, take on Anthony Lars? I mean, have you, as John speculates, seen a lot more of him <laughs> than John? Do you think he, he's a uh, hundred million years uh, is, is yeah. a lot of money? Being he... someone whose who's work-life balance is a disgrace, I watch probably more That's what I mean. than, yeah. than any human being should. Uh, I've seen him a bit. So he's a, you're, you're right. He is, he is a, one of these wide players who likes to come inside and then either try to put it in the far corner or look for a through ball or a cross, you know, uh, coming in from the right, using his left foot uh he is very talented in the sense that he's clearly technically gifted i'm slightly baffled by the price tag united are, are willing to pay because because you're looking at a player who's like his his numbers in the air divisie aren't better than like hakim ziyech's were for yeah, instance well, th- 31 uh, go- 31 goals in 134 games um isn't certainly yeah which means he's not a pr- pr- particularly prolific goal scorer He's the, the point about it is, I guess, he's, still, he's 22. So he's a guy who's still improving and there could be a huge upside there. And it's entirely possible that he he does incredibly well for United and we all look foolish. But I think spending that amount of money, if you compare to other players over the years, even allowing for some inflation, you're typically signing like one of the players who have proven they're among the top in, in Europe in their position. Or Joao Felix. Uh, sorry? Or you could be signing Joao Felix. Well, yeah, no, that, that was a very interesting one. Uh, but uh, in, in this sense, you're paying a, a lot of money for a guy who's not played outside of Holland. And we, we know from experience that that's a, it's very difficult to, to predict what, what players from that league will, will take the step up. For, for every, uh, yeah, for, for every Luis Suarez, there's been a Matea Kesman. And it, it, it is something that's very challenging for people who work with, with player recruitment and stuff. So I just find it very strange that you're paying the kind of money you typically get someone who's more established for, for someone who is a bit of a punt. But again, the guy's 22. He's, he's clearly very gifted and uh, the coach seems to like him. That's the only thing that just sort of, they're spending now quite a lot of money on players who clearly the coach wants to bring in. Now, if things don't work out with Ten Hag and things go completely wrong and you have to replace him, that's going to look, the next guy's going to come in and say, what are all these Dutch people here? This is really weird. Like, it's, I, I, it, again, it feels with United that rather than They're not Dutch. Play, I mean, Martinez is Argentinian and Anthony's, uh, uh, Dutch adjacent, Eredivisie <laughs> dudes. Um, it, it's rather than some sort of long-term plan, it seems like they're just letting the, the, the most uh, recent drummer of spinal taps sort of uh, being charged with the transfer budget more or less and just see how that goes and it does look an awful lot like how Man United have been running the club ever since uh, Sir Alex Ferguson uh, retired and it hasn't done very well so far <laughs> maybe it'll be better this time I'm not sure the player is a completely fine uh, and worthy transfer target for Man United from what I've seen but the price tag is slightly baffling yeah 100 million euro for a fine and worthy player does seem a little steep alright listen Lars, <laughs> Lars John was a strange one um, talking to you without the sound of beer cans opening left right and centre as was the case that night in Hackney great to talk to you again take care there's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Uh, 
It's still in your hands, isn't it? If you win all your games, you are the champions. It's as simple as that. Of course, it's still in our hands, despite what the bookies think. I mean, they're looking at the running. I've just said to the lads, the next six days are, are, are vital for us. I mean, we, we, we play QPR on Saturday. That'll be a tough game because they're, they're battling for the very survival in this league. And then we go to Blackburn. So in the next six days, if we win those three, you wouldn't be able to get a baton to, to win the league. So it's there for us to see. We can see the winning post. It's just whether we can, you know, the jockey can get us over the line. Good stuff, Kevin. Thanks very much. Good luck tonight. Thank you. Still smiling, still very relaxed. Even if he's not, certainly looks at Kevin King. Barnes, Rush, Barnes, Collymore closing in! The goal has swept back, it's cropped. That's a goal. Robbie Fowler. That's Briar. It's got through here. Ferdinand. 1 1. A flank move again by Newcastle. Gina Lowe is through. Gina Lowe with the finish. Fowler. And the shot is a goal. 2 2. Oh, super little pass there. Here's Lee. That's Briar. His time is run. That's Briar. Yes. That's Briar trying to outmaneuver Ruddock. Couldn't do so. So it's McAteer now. Oh, it's a good ball in, Collymore! Scales again, for John Barnes. Now Ian Rush, Barnes again, Rush! Just works it up for him. But here is Collymore! Liverpool have won it! An amazing finish, and Keegan just cannot take it in. Barnes, Andy hanging on for man of the match. Barnes, Rush. Barnes. Still John Barnes. Collymore closing in. Liverpool lead in stoppage time. Kevin Keegan hangs his head. He's devastated. No Monday night football tonight in the Premier League, but there is Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday night football. What's our standouts here? I guess Lou leads Everton on Tuesday. Liverpool, Newcastle Wednesday, and then there's just one game on Thursday. Leicester, Man United. Wow. Which mm. which match are you looking forward to there, Ken, and all that? Man well, City, Nottingham Forest. Fulham, I apologise. Fulham, Brighton, Fulham, Brighton for me. It's got to be City Forest for you, surely. Year again Forest. on television, of course. Uh, is it? Yeah. All live on BT Sport. Oh yeah. Every yeah. every. Well, they're game. showing all the games live. Showing live on uh, BT Sport, of course. Um, I think. I mean, the Liverpool and Newcastle game is obviously very interesting, um, just in terms of whether Liverpool can keep it going or, you know, whether Newcastle can. Uh, I mean, Newcastle obviously drew at Wolves having played so well against City and it obviously suited them better to play City rather than Wolves just because City leaves space and Wolves don't yeah. and Liverpool leaves space. So um, you think that would... Although they had... 4-3, um, Ken? Is that what you're saying? <coughs> you think can we expect a 4-3? Bruno, uh, Bruno Gimmerich uh, missed the game and I don't know if he's going to be fit for this one. And also St. Maximin had... Was kind of feeling his hamstring at the end of the, at the end of the game. Not a player they want to lose. Although Alexander Isak should be available <clears throat> for Newcastle, so it'll be interesting to see how he uh, gets going. I feel obviously the Arsenal Villa game, which we mentioned, is big. West Ham Tottenham is always an interesting game. Um, yeah, so uh, oh, and I'm, I, I can't wait. I wish it was already Tuesday night. <laughs> <laughs> if you're a World Service member, we'll see you during the week for loads more football coverage. If not, then you're going to have to wait until next Monday, I'm afraid. It seems like an awful long time to wait for another football podcast. Why not think about signing up Come on. on secondcaptains.com? Second Captains you know podcast you can't resist us. is part Man. of the ACAS Creator Network. If you sign up, you will hear all our podcasts ad-free. Thanks, Ken. Thanks, Murph. Thanks, Teddy. Thanks, Owen. Thank you, Kira. Thank you, Owen. Thank you, Ken. And thank you, Teddy, for all the cuddles. Really delightful. Thanks for listening. Chat soon. What is that? That's the second time it's gone off. Never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those those, those boys. It is not war and death and famine. It's not that at all. It's the opposite of that. It's to persuade the world outside of that. That's why sport's important.